Turning again their Bibles tonight to Isaiah 43. Isaiah chapter 43, please. And with our Bibles open, we'll seek the Lord briefly in a moment's prayer. We'll ask for his help as we come to preach his holy word tonight. Let's pray. Eternal and our loving Father in heaven, again we just come into thy most holy presence in our Saviour's name. We thank thee tonight, Lord, for the ability to come and to worship thee in this way. We thank thee, Lord, even for the ability to sing and to praise thee. And we trust and pray, Lord, that our worship tonight will have been acceptable in thy sight. As we've worshipped thee in spirit and in truth. We pray tonight, Lord, as we come now to consider this glorious passage in Isaiah 43. That, Lord, you'll even just stir up our hearts. That, Lord, we would see Jesus. That we would see him in all of his fullness. Lord, my prayer tonight is that he would increase and that I would decrease. And, Lord, I would be far behind the cross tonight and that none would be seen save Jesus Christ. That in uplifting the Saviour tonight, Lord, that men and women and children will be drawn unto him and be graciously saved. And Lord, that's the earnest prayer and desire of our hearts tonight, Lord, that all here here gathered would know of a certainty that they're saved, that they're ready for heaven. And Lord, they can know that tonight because of what Jesus Christ has done on the cross, through repentance of sin, through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, that I can be saved. As for the whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. We pray to that end, Lord, that again you'll take me up and use me. Lord, you fill me afresh with thy Holy Ghost, that you'll take away any nerves and any fears and any worries that I would have, Lord, about my own performance, because it doesn't matter how I perform tonight. It doesn't matter the words that I say tonight. It is only the Spirit that can convict. It's only the Spirit that can move, Lord, and we pray to that end that I will do that tonight that you will even arrest the consciences of those tonight without Christ. You'll speak to their hearts, Lord. Even us who are saved tonight, you'll thrill our hearts and our souls again as we look at Christ, as we see what he has done for us on the cross. And to that end, Lord, we pray you'll continue to be with us and you'll help us and we'll glorify thee, Lord. We'll give thee all praise, honor, and glory tonight because it is yours and yours alone. Answer prayer, we pray. Be with us, we ask of thee. In Jesus' name we ask those things. Amen. Every contact leaves a trace. Now, any here tonight with a background in or who knows anything about forensic science, you will be familiar with the statement that I have just made, that every contact leaves a trace. You see, the principle behind that statement is a very simple one. It's whenever two materials come into contact with another, there's an exchange between those materials. And that is particularly useful for solving crimes for catching a criminal, because it doesn't matter how thorough that criminal might be, they always leave behind them some trace evidence of having been there. There are also instances as well where that criminal unknowingly will take some of that evidence with them back home. And you might say tonight, well, what happens if they do a thorough cleanup job? What if they use some bleach to wash away all the evidence? Maybe they start a fire and get rid of that evidence. Well, again, this principle stands true tonight, that every contact leaves a trace. Because, yes, you might have got rid of some of the physical evidence, but in its place, then, you have their chemical evidence. Traces of the type of bleach that were used, traces of the accelerant that have been used. You see, every contact will leave a trace. And I was reading recently about a crime that took place over 100 years ago in 1912, shortly after this principle first came into existence. 
See, in that case, it was suspected that a young lady had been murdered by her boyfriend. But the only problem was that that boyfriend had a rock-solid alibi because he said that he was playing cards with friends at the time of this supposed event. And so how did the police manage to break that alibi? Well, remember I said there just a moment ago that sometimes a criminal will bring evidence home with them unsuspectingly. Well, that's exactly what happened here because police investigators, they took some samples under that man's fingernails and under those fingernails was deposited a pink powder. So the police investigators, what they did was they went around all the local chemists and they tried to see could they find a match. They came to one of the chemists and they discovered that this chemist, he made this particular makeup powder. He developed a custom makeup powder for the victim in question. And through that small piece of trace evidence, they were able to make an arrest. See, what the man had done was he changed the time on the clock to fool his friends, to dupe the friends, into thinking it was a different time than it actually was. And yet, what has any of this got to do tonight with what we're going to consider in Isaiah chapter 43? Well, whenever you apply the same principle that every contact leaves a trace to this chapter, it doesn't hold up with respect to a person's sin. And yes, the evidence of the sins of the nation of Israel here in this chapter, it was clear for all to see. No investigation was needed to determine the people's guilt. They made no attempt whatsoever to cover up the sins that they had committed. And such was the condition of the nation of Israel at the time that we read in Isaiah chapter 43 and verse 24 that their sins had caused the Lord to be wearied. He'd grown tired of their sins against him. You read verse 24 and you might expect such behavior then would result in them being punished by the Lord. But as you go on to read verses 25 and 26, you find somewhat of the opposite. It's anything but punishment. Because you read those two verses there with me and read what it says. It says, I, even I, am he that blotteth out thy transgressions for mine own sake and will not remember thy sins. Put me in remembrance. Let us plead together. Declare thou that thou mayest be justified. See, in these two verses tonight, we have the promise from God that he would pardon their sin, that despite the blatant sin against him, there was forgiveness from that sin. He had promised to blot out their sin. He would promised to remove all traces of that sin. And God makes that same promise tonight in 2023. Because yes, while all mankind has sinned, all mankind has come short of God's glory, he still offers forgiveness for sin tonight for all who come with that repentant heart. And tonight it is these words in Isaiah 43 and verses 25 and 26 that I want to focus upon with you. Because these words cause us to consider the subject tonight, which is a forgiveness that leaves no trace. Our title of the sermon tonight is this, it's a forgiveness that leaves no trace. And there are four thoughts that I want to leave with you here that we find in these two verses First thing I want you to see, it's in the beginning of verse 25, it's the person of forgiveness. Because he says there, I, even I, am he that blotteth out thy transgressions. We find the same kind of language used in an earlier verse in Isaiah chapter 43. Because look at verse 11. He says, I, even I, am the Lord, and beside me there is no saviour. And tonight, right at the very beginning of our message, Isaiah is highlighting the simple truth that permeates all Scripture. That God alone has the authority, that God alone has the power to forgive sin. This was the testimony of Nehemiah back in Nehemiah chapter 9 and verse 17. 
Because you read that verse and it says there that thou art a God ready to forgive or ready to pardon. Nehemiah is literally saying here, thou art a God of forgiveness who continually forgives, who abundantly forgives. But it's not only there in Nehemiah, we find the same thought in the New Testament. You can go to places like Mark chapter 2. And in that chapter, we have Christ there. He's healing a man sick of the palsy. And in verse 5, he says these words to that man. He says, Son, thy sins be forgiven thee. Listen to what the scribes here who are watching go on to say then in Mark chapter 2 and verse 7. Because they say, Why does this man thus speak blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God only? And therefore, what conclusions can we draw from statements like that? That if a man's to be pardoned, if a man's to have his sins forgiven, then they can only be forgiven by the God of heaven. God alone has the power. He has the authority to forgive sin. And I think that's a truth tonight that really needs to be emphasized. Because it is on this issue tonight regarding the forgiveness of sin, particularly who it is tonight that offers forgiveness of sin, that has led to so much confusion and has led to so much deception in society today. I say that tonight for the simple reason that you'll speak to somebody and they'll say to you something like this, well, you can't know until you die. You can't actually be certain that you're saved, that your sins are forgiven until the day of judgment. You'll speak to another person and they'll say to you, well, yes, you can have your sins forgiven, but you need to do something. You need to personally aid in that forgiveness of sin. You need to work your way to heaven. And at the end of your life, you have a balance and you have all of your good deeds on one side, you have all of your bad deeds on the other side. And if the good deeds outweigh the bad deeds, then the result is you'll go to heaven. But you know, what is the result of such false teaching tonight? Well, you end up with people who have no assurance whatsoever that their sins have ever been forgiven. Individuals, when they do something wrong, they find themselves in a state of despair and they cry, well, are my sins actually forgiven? When I prayed that prayer, did I use the right words? Did the Lord really forgive my sin? And people will spend their whole lives second-guessing whether or not they're saved, whether they're going to go to heaven. And when a person does something that offends God, they feel they need to punish themselves. I knew the devil, he is so quick to exploit such situations. He'll come along tonight with other sources of pardon, and he'll say things like this to you tonight. Well, God doesn't love you, but I love you. And there's pardon this way, there's pardon that way. You see, the devil's only too happy tonight to offer other sources of pardon except for the true source of pardon, which is Jesus Christ. But man tonight is no different to the devil. Protestant Reformation was founded upon men like Johann Tetzel who were selling indulgences that claim would free people from purgatory. Purgatory doesn't exist, of course. It's man-made. It's false. And again, what is the result of this kind of teaching? You end up with people with no assurance whatsoever that their sins are forgiven. Individuals who, when they do something wrong, they find themselves in that state of despair. You take everything that I've said regarding multiple ways of pardon and you take it back to the Scriptures. And what Isaiah is saying here in the clearest of terms, it's this. It's the very opposite. Because he's saying here, I, even I am he. And that word even and the word am here, it's in, they're in italics. 
That means they're not part of the original manuscripts. They've been added by the translators. And you can read those words literally like this. I, I, he. And the double use of the word I here is done for emphasis. He's saying here, I will certainly do that. I will guarantee the forgiveness of your sin. It is I who you've provoked tonight. It's I who you've sinned against. It's I who you despise and I who you hate tonight. It's I that you blaspheme. It's I that you curse and I that you have no love for. But I, even I, despite all of that, there's forgiveness from sin through Jesus Christ. And yet how does such a forgiveness of sin come about? Well, you look again at Isaiah 43 and verse 25. He says, I, even I, am he that blotteth out thy transgressions. He's going to do it by blotting out the transgressions. And that word blot, that word blotteth, it's a very interesting word. The Hebrew language, it's a very interesting language. It, of course, has a number of different meanings for the word. But the blot here, it means to stroke or to rub something out. It means to destroy something or to utterly wipe that thing out. It's to obliterate it. We find the exact same word used by the Lord back in Deuteronomy chapter 9 and verse 14. In that chapter, in that verse with the Lord, he's in conversation with Moses and the children of Israel. They had wearied the Lord. And the Lord says in Deuteronomy chapter 9 and verse 14, Let me alone, that I may destroy them and blot out their name from under heaven. He's saying, Moses, I'm wearied. I'm about to destroy them. I've had enough. You turn with me tonight to the very next chapter in Isaiah, to the one we're considering. Isaiah chapter 44 and verse 22. Isaiah chapter 44 and verse 22 is the same word used again. He says, I have blotted out as a thick cloud thy transgressions, and as a cloud thy sins return unto me, for I have redeemed thee. And Isaiah here, he uses or compares sin to that of a dark cloud. A dark cloud that fills the sky. There's no blue left in the sky. And as the cloud continues to grow, as it continues to intensify, it gets to the point here where it's almost fit to burst. And eventually it's going to reach the point where it no longer can hold any more moisture and so there's a heavy downpour. And you relate that back to the idea of sin tonight. And Isaiah is saying here is this. That unless this sin is dealt with, that God will eventually pour out his wrath upon that sin. What happens to a dark cloud whenever the sun appears in the sky? Well, that sun's shining rays, they pierce through the dark cloud, the cloud disappears. And so it is with the Lord Jesus Christ tonight. When you ask the Lord Jesus Christ into your heart, he takes away the darkness of your sin. He's the light of the world, as we mentioned this morning. There's no darkness with God, it's all light. When it comes to the idea here of the blotting out of thy transgressions, it's essential to understand something. That God will never blot out one sin until satisfaction has been made for that sin. And yet the fact that he's promised here to do that in Isaiah 43, it surely proves that satisfaction to God has already been made. In fact, it is something that is continually being made. Because that word bloodeth here in Isaiah 43, it's in the present tense. It's something that is a continual experience of all who come to Christ tonight. Because as soon as the unsaved, as soon as the one outside of Christ tonight repents and believes, he's forgiven. His transgressions are blotted out. It's the pardon of sin. It's forgiveness with him. And it's full pardon. 
It's a complete blotting out of that sin. How has this pardon been secured? It's only through the price that has been paid on the cross through our Lord Jesus Christ. Only the Lord Jesus Christ was able to satisfy God's justice. If you turn in your Bibles tonight, please, to the book of Colossians. In Colossians chapter 2 and verses 13 and 14. And these verses, they are the counterpart to what we read in Isaiah 43. Colossians chapter 2 and, and verse 13. Says, and you being dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh hath he quickened together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses, blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us, and took it out of the way, nailing it to his cross. And those words here, the handwriting of ordinances, they literally can be read as the handwritten record of debts or sin. Because every transgression and every violation of God's law, it has been recorded, it's been written down, and it's against you. And therefore, how foolish a thing it is to try to hide your sin and your rebellion from a God tonight who knows all things. He knows every sin that you've ever committed. And if that record is to be removed, then it must be blotted out. It must be completely destroyed. How is it removed? But look at how verse 4 ends. It's by nailing it to his cross. And Jesus Christ, he has paid the debt. He has made satisfaction to God. He has dealt with every one of your sins tonight. Because through that substitutionary and sacrificial death on the cross, he has paid the penalty. He's canceled the debt. And therefore, if you come tonight... And if you put your trust in him, this account book of the debt of your sins will be crossed off. It will be rubbed out. The debt will no longer be there. All traces will be completely removed. There's the person of forgiveness. But then the second thing I want you to see is the purpose of forgiveness. The purpose of forgiveness, again, verse 25, he says, I, even I, am he that blotteth out thy transgressions for mine own sake. And you look at those words, for mine own sake, and they imply that God doesn't forgive sin tonight because of anything within the sinner. Doesn't forgive because of anything that the sinner does tonight. And again, that's the idea that's expressed throughout Scripture. 1 John chapter 2 and verse 12, John says in that verse, I read unto you, little children... Because your sins are forgiven you for his name's sake. If you're following along with me tonight, could you turn in your Bibles to Isaiah 48? Just a few chapters over, Isaiah 48, verses 9 through 11. It's really verse 11 that we want to focus on, but 9 and 10 will give the context. Isaiah 48 and verse 9. He says, For my name's sake will I defer mine anger, and for my praise will I refrain for thee, that I cut thee not off. Behold, I have refined thee, but not with silver. I have chosen thee in the furnace of affliction. For mine own sake, even for mine own sake, will I do it. For how should my name be polluted, and I will not give my glory unto another? See, when God forgives sin, 
He does it solely for his own glory and for his eternal praise, and he will not give his glory unto another. And yet that doesn't mean tonight that there's no glory with respect to the sinner. It doesn't mean there's nothing for the sinner to glory in tonight. Because if you come tonight and you put your trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, you can rejoice here and you can praise God's name because of the fact you've been delivered from hell. But at the same time, the sense of the words in verse 25, they clearly show us that this pardon was never for the sinner's sake because the sinner has no merit by which they can be pardoned. They can never claim to have a part in this pardon. Why? Because God says it's for mine own sake. It's to show forth my compassion. It's to promote my glory. It's because satisfaction has been made by my son Christ. And God is therefore glorified. It's Christ's own testimony in John chapter 17. John 17 and verse 4 He says there, I have glorified thee in the earth. I have finished the work which thou gavest me to do. And it's interesting to note here, we noted this this morning, but we see it again in John 17 in a different portion. Christ hadn't been to the cross yet. He hadn't finished the work on Calvary. And yet because of the perfection in the one who makes the statement, it's as good as done. The work is finished. And because of this, God is satisfied and his person is glorified. And what does that mean for you tonight if you're here without Jesus Christ? What does it mean for you tonight if you haven't come and put your faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ? If you haven't accepted him as your saviour? Well, it simply means if you will but rest in him and if you will entrust in Christ for pardon and forgiveness, God will be glorified tonight in the forgiveness of your sin. Person of forgiveness, the purpose of forgiveness... But thirdly, tonight I want you to see the promise of forgiveness. Look at how verse 25 ends. I, even I, am he that blotteth out thy transgressions for mine own sake, and will not remember thy sins. God has promised not to remember your sin. He won't call them to mind. He doesn't store them in record. He doesn't recall them. And again, it's the truth throughout Scripture. Jeremiah chapter 31 and verse 34. He says, therefore I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sin no more. Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 17. And their sins and their iniquities will I remember no more. And as we read what Isaiah says here in verse 25, we need to be careful because we aren't to take these words with the strictest literality. And what I mean by that is this. It's impossible for God to forget anything because such would show some imperfection with God, which isn't the case, of course. Now, what Isaiah is doing here is he's using human language. Human language that will impress upon our finite minds what God does when he forgives sin. Because when your sins have been pardoned, that barrier between God and man is no longer there. We're reconciled to God through Jesus Christ. And as soon as the Lord has forgiven your sin, his whole treatment of you, his whole attitude towards you changes. And you're no longer condemned by the guilt of your sin. You're no longer worthy of being punished because God has been satisfied. And your sins are as good as forgotten. There's no trace of your past transgressions. And God will never bring them up again. He will never hold them over you. 
And that's certainly true with our Lord tonight, but again, it's not true with the devil. The devil will certainly hold your sins over you. How often he comes at the point when you've just let the Lord down. And he comes and he seeks to discourage you. He comes and he seeks to dishearten you, to cause you to doubt your own salvation. And believer tonight, what should your response be when that happens? You turn to the Word of God. Paul says in Romans chapter 8 and verse 33, Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It is God that justifieth. Who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died. Yea, rather that is risen again, who is even at the right hand of God, who also maketh intercession for us. Not only will the devil do, but again, men are very good at this. They're very good at dragging up the sins of the past. People are not so good at remembering their own faults, but they're very good at remembering other people's faults. And how quickly friendships can turn sour after falling out. How quickly past sins are brought up and your names dragged through the mud. And I'm not speaking exclusively tonight about how the ungodly will treat Christians. Because sometimes Christians are the worst offenders. A person's tried to apologize and they've tried to make things right. And rather than move on, you retain thoughts of bitterness and thoughts of revenge. Can you imagine if Christ treated you or I in that way? What does the Word of God tell us we're to do in such times? Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 31. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. Be ye kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. And it's bad enough that we can treat each other like that at times as Christians. Do we not often at times treat the unsaved like that also? When we're meant to show forth the love of Christ, we do anything but that at times. And I know God is sovereign and God will save who he's going to save. But may we never be a stumbling block to the unsaved tonight. And I say that because maybe I'm speaking to somebody here tonight, and I've spoke to people who've been in this situation in the past, and they're, they're not saved. And that's been their experience of Christianity so far. And they say, well, if that's Christianity, I don't want it. All I can do tonight, if that's you, is apologize. You're not to look to men tonight, you're to look to Christ. Christ, he is the only perfect example of what it means to be a Christian. Because when the Lord forgives, he will never recall it again. He will never hold it over you as some sort of threat. And your sins are forgotten about forever. It's also encouragement tonight for you, believer. I say that because speaking personally, there are times I look back at my own life. And I'm so grieved. And I wonder how I ever could have done some of the things I did against the Lord. It can be a struggle of times to get it out of your mind. And you feel the need to confess those sins over and over again, despite the fact that God has promised to forgive them and He's promised to forget them. And when you get those thoughts into your mind, how can you dismiss those thoughts? It's again by turning to the Word of God. 1 John chapter 3 and verse 20. For if our heart condemn us, God is greater than our heart and knoweth all things. 
Whilst our hearts will condemn us at times over the sins we've committed in the past, what comfort there is tonight to know that God is greater than our heart. That because of what Christ has done, we can rest upon God's forgiveness of sin. It's a complete forgiveness tonight because God is satisfied with Christ. There's one final thing I want you to see very quickly, and it's found in the words of verse 26. Because here we see the petition to seek Christ. He says, Put me in remembrance. Let us plead together. Declare thou that thou mayest be justified. And the Lord's not saying here that he forgets his promises because, again, such would be impossible. But by making the statement here to put these things in remembrance, he's urging the sinner to bring forth their argument with respect to what we read and what God has promised to do here in verse 25. He's saying to the sinner tonight, cause me to remember what I've promised you. Declare to me tonight what my word says on this. And because of that, you can come to the Lord tonight and you can say, Lord, remember what you said. Remember what you've promised in your word. That if I trust in you, my transgressions will be blotted out. And you've said you will do it, Lord, and I've come now to hold you to an account on that promise. And I think for the unbeliever tonight, that's such a thrilling thought. Because despite the fact that you've grieved God, despite the fact you've wearied God, despite the fact we all should be in hell because of our sin, we find the Lord here coming and he's pleading. He's petitioning that you might come to him tonight. He's putting the very words in your mouth and he's telling you exactly what you need to say. The individual tonight who's relying on their own works for forgiveness will never experience true peace or true rest. And you will never have any real assurance that you're saved because as soon as you do something wrong, you feel you need to ask for that forgiveness all over again. Because what is the only assurance tonight that a sinner can have that their sins are forgiven? It's the truth revealed in God's word. God says here in Isaiah 43, I forgive. And because I forgive, there's no need for hesitation and there's no need for doubt. And perhaps there's one here tonight or maybe there's one listening in tonight and up to this point in your life it will be true to say that you've wearied God. You've lived a life of sin and you've done everything that you can in your power to stop the Lord and the advancement of his work. But as the meaning has went on and you've heard about the God's promise for forgiveness, you began to think to yourself, well, is there any hope for me? Can I really know that my sins have been forgiven? Well, based on what we've read tonight in Isaiah 43, the answer is yes. Despite the fact that you sin against God on a daily basis, God's word says there's pardon for you. Not only pardon tonight, but abundant pardon. And how can this pardon be yours? It's by turning from your sin. It's by seeking him with all your heart. It's by trusting in what God's word says here in Isaiah 43 and verse 25. He says, I, even I, am he that blotteth out thy transgressions for mine own sake, and will not remember thy sins. May God write that word upon your hearts tonight. If you're not saved, may you seek the Lord right now. Ask him for forgiveness. The Lord is a forgiving God. He's a God of long suffering. He can forgive you now. He can save you right now. 
I trust and pray if you know that Christ, you'll even do that thing tonight and you'll be saved.